0: to aurelius podcast episode five i am zach naylor ceo and co-founder of aurelius with us today we have dan brown principal at eight shapes author of a few ux design books in our industry uh very influential and doing some really cool work out of the dc area dan welcome to the show zach it's great to be here it is indeed wonderful to have you and uh, it's always nice to chat with you so Let's just go ahead and dive right in. Dan, I know you have a new book coming out and I know that you've done a lot of thinking and a lot of writing about this topic. this idea of you know problem defining in the work that we do as designers or product people product managers even where would you start there?
1: Uh, it's a great question and I, I feel like it's one of these topics that we all, have an opinion about, maybe think we know about, um, but when you start to scratch beneath the surface, you realize it's far more messy and complicated. Um, I actually don't refer to it so much as problem definition or actually see the larger um, problem definition is contained in discovery. Mm-hmm. Um, I see discovery as a, a process by which designers, in essence, prime themselves uh, for doing design work. Um, The uh, understanding the problem is a a big part of that. But um, I did a lot of research on creativity and came to understand that understanding the problem is not something that you can do in a vacuum or on its own. That instead, um, part of understanding a problem is trying to solve it a little bit. So when we look at the design process as two separate things, understanding the problem and then solving it, I think we're doing ourselves a disservice. Humans really want to, in terms of embracing creativity, they wanna understand a problem, try and solve it, and through that they understand the problem better, so they kind of understand the definition better, and then they can try and solve it again. And there's really this kind of back and forth that I think a lot of our linear conceptions of design as a process don't really uh, permit.
0: So yeah. Okay. So that's really interesting, and I wanna I wanna dive into that because I even the last thing that you said with regard to this this thinking that design is a linear process in a way, even though we talk about iterations all the time. I wanna dive into the fact that you mentioned part of discovery and defining our problem is actually solving it. What level of solving that problem that early is appropriate and how do you go about doing that?
1: That's a great question because I think um, the, you know, as soon as I say that the the expectation is, well, I need to kind of flesh out the entire concept. Right. But I I don't think that's true. Um, I think the end point or a reasonable milestone in the discovery process is making sure we all know what direction we're going in. Mm -hmm. Right. So that the team is aligned, but it's also giving us a common starting point. Um, and that starting point is not just a common understanding of the target audience, say, or a common understanding of the product objectives, but also, I don't know, the framework of what the uh, system is going to be. Mm-hmm. Maybe you sketched out some of the navigation and some of the basic templates. Uh, if it's an application, if it's a content website, maybe you have kind of sketched out, the overall structure uh, of, the, of the website. Um, so I think taking a few steps into that process without necessarily trying to solve every last little bit of the problem. Um, and this is where experience comes in, right? Experience can tell you, okay, I've got at least uh, a good enough starting point mm-hmm. uh, that I can switch my mindset. I can step away from, I'm trying to learn and understand to I'm trying to flesh out the picture, right? I'm trying to uh, c- compose an entire solution. Mm-hmm. Here. The truth is that, um, again, a good understanding of design, a thorough understanding of design means understanding that even when you're in that mindset of, okay, I'm, so, I'm you know, churning out the details now, at some point you're going to hit a wall and you're going to say, you know what, I don't have enough information, mm-hmm. make a decision here. So I need to retreat back to that mindset where I'm open to learning, where I'm curious, where I'm skeptical about the world around me. And I embrace the idea that uh, I need to learn more and understand the problem better.
0: So this is a fascinating point that you make, that you will hit a point where you, you know, it's a wall and you don't have enough understanding. I want to keep that in our pocket for a moment because we're going to revisit it for sure. But instead, take a little bit of a, a left Turn and say, you know, you're mentioning this process as uh, solving part of the problem as a means to define it, and so I can see that being very applicable with existing products and services, right? I can see that being a place where you know maybe you have domain expertise or you work in an organization, and we understand what's happening here. We have we have enough uh, to use your term information to feel comfortable acting in a bit. Do you feel like that is an appropriate way to start let's say on a product or service that does not yet exist
1: um yeah uh i mean you've got to right um you know there's a lot of talk about um uh methodologies that are uh things like lean or sprints or agile right all that kind of stuff and my hope in the way I talk about discovery is not to prescribe a specific methodology, but instead say, this is how we have to think and understand the work that we do. And I want to give you a language for talking about that work yeah. so that whatever methodology, whatever framework you use makes sense. Yeah. Now, um, we, if you look at the history of innovation, right, it's not like they were following a methodology, right, to come up with the double helix, right? These are just I mean, it wasn't like I'm going to go follow a design process and understand how DNA works. Sure. Um, or I'm going to go follow a design process and invent uh, the printing press and movable type, right? These are these are things that kind of emerged over time. But I can't sell that, right? At the end of the day, I still have to feed my children. Right? <laughs> so right. um, the, the idea uh, that... Um, discovery and detailed design or the way to do design is really just a concession to managing projects and Mm. uh, methodological frameworks and all these things that we do to erect these structures that make it easy for us to collaborate, yes, but also easy for us to kind of sell design services. And not just sell design services, but even if you're in-house, explain how are we going to go about doing this, right? yeah. So you need to do a discovery phase, whether you've got an existing product or you're developing a new product, because we need to kickstart that creative process, that process innovation. And discovery is um, a recipe for doing that. And it's not going to be ideal, right? You're not going to come up with the next big thing that Mm -hmm. way necessarily, but um, you're not going to figure out the double helix that way, Mm -hmm. but you are going to... Solve, you know, ninety-nine percent of the design problems that you face. Does that even remotely make sense?
0: No, it it more than remotely makes sense. As a matter of fact, so I'll share my perspective uh, because I think it also reflects some of what I just heard you say. I mean, when we do discovery work, and we started this by talking about problem definition, you know, you would posit that discovery work is not meant to drive in innovation necessarily. But it will help us solve 99% of those problems. And the way I've always described it is if we can start from a place where everybody has a shared understanding of what we're doing as a business, as a company, and who we're doing that for, right? So that is problem definition. That is setting goals for either the project or the product. That gives us a place to look back to when we hit that wall and say, I no longer have enough information to continue forward. Can I look back to those goals or that problem statement or whatever and say, what do I not know about this?
1: Right. I mean, I use the phrase shared understanding and I, I, I often refer to that as kind of a shared pool of knowledge, right? This sort of, we collaborate together during a discovery process to build up this pool of knowledge that we can draw from. Um, so if you look at something like a persona as an artifact that might come out of that that's really just ultimately at the end of the day a persona is a heuristic a shorthand that allows me to say to you you know uh dissatisfied david you know is our persona and uh if zach and dan have been working together to try and uh you know understand who these people are i can say that to you and that doesn't necessarily refer to the document mm-hmm. of the persona, but it refers to that shared history that you and I have in interviewing a variety of users. Right. So then we use that as a starting point to say, oh, remember when that, we were interviewing that one person and she said that she always gets this part of the process and she's really dissatisfied, right? So that allows us to have those conversations and draw on that knowledge. Yeah. That we do get to a point and we refer to that pool, right? We draw from that pool throughout the design process but as you're implying, we do get to a point where the pool is dry, right? Where the pool doesn't cover, uh, doesn't, can't answer the questions that we have. And so we either make an educated guess so we can keep moving forward or we take a step back and go, you know what, let's do some more research or let's do some more brainstorming. Let's do whatever we need to do to kind yeah. of fill that pool back up.
0: Yeah, yeah. I like that analogy a lot. And so to sort of wrap up this point of discovery, because this is not by any means, uh, where a project or a product ends, right? But how do we know, or how can we feel confident we're done with discovery? What should happen? How you know? What should we see to know, or feel confident that we should move on to the next step?
1: I mean, the good news is that a lot of the times, uh, you you are one is working in a situation where you have deadlines and budgets right so sometimes discovery ends because you're out of money Mm -hmm. or because you don't want to spend any more money on it or because you've hit your deadline and said all right this is the pool that we're working with Mm -hmm. it's not the ideal pool but you know we go to design with the pool that we have not the pool that we want um but that being said i think if we were to get more philosophical about it we could say things like um or let me put it this way. I recognize in myself uh, a desire to to flesh out the details. Mm-hmm. right? And so I think there's something that comes with, all right, I kind of get the big picture. We get the big picture. Let's flesh out the details and see if this is a good thing. Um, or, uh, you know, we've laid the groundwork for what the concept is. Uh, we've tested that and we feel good about it. Mm-hmm. Let's let's see what it is. So I kind of see it as sort of a dissatisfaction with not knowing where the story ends. Um, and I know that's a little loosey-goosey. Um, but again, we are, in a sense, fortunate that we work in environments that are constrained by time and money. Yeah. Right? We sort of have to end the process when it ends. This, is, again, is how it's different from the guy who invented the post-it note, right? Mm-hmm. You can say that was sort of this great innovation, but it wasn't like his boss was kind of breathing down his neck going, you know, you have whatever, you know, $10,000 left in your budget,
0: mm-hmm.
1: get, get somewhere, right? Yeah. But we do, we, we do have those uh, timers, so to speak.
0: Yeah, no, I don't, you know what, I don't think this is loosey-goosey at all. And maybe this just speaks to my own <laughs> personal approach <laughs> in philosophy. I'm a bit more uh, shoot from the hip as well, but I think that there are huge advantages to that. And so let's talk about this this next step. And I like the analogy that you're using this pull that we draw from and, you know, whether or not the pull uh, stays filled with knowledge or information, or it dries up. The more direct question I wanna ask you is how do we make use of that pool? Because what I think you're really talking about, and correct me if I'm wrong, is you're talking about you know, research insights, things that we've learned, this knowledge uh, that we've brought both from discovery and from our customers, yes?
1: Yeah. So I how mean, do I- we use that? That's a. I I mean, it's a good question. And, you know, my first book was all about design documentation, which is sort of meant to be about, you know, capturing that that knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, design has come a long way, even since whenever it was 2011, when that book came out, uh, the second edition of that book came out, because um, we are far even more attuned to this idea of multidisciplinary teams working in concert in actually a kind of chaotic way mm-hmm. because they're all uh, contributing in some way. And so trying to find the right mix of people, trying to find the right uh, artifact of record that we're all working on together, like all of those are, are complicated things, mm-hmm. um, but are reflective of the state of web design today in which we're not just publishing flat web anymore. Um, But I think that we have that assumption that we're sort of operating in that multidisciplinary way or that's the ideal uh, way to operate. We also participated or at least listened to, you know, sessions. We are using brainstorming techniques that uh, rely on everyone being in the room uh, together. So, I mean, even something like Design Sprint—you know—it's a week-long thing, uh, and, or I guess it's a product sprint It's kind of a week-long thing where everyone's kind of crammed in a room together, and because of that proximity, if you will, um, they—that's where that pool. Is, that's where that pool exists, mm-hmm. right? I think it's uh, mistaken for me to, or I think it's a mistake to think of the pool as. A directory on Dropbox, right? I mean, I, that's not what I want. What I want is we're building a. I guess another metaphor is a common language. Mm-hmm. So, on a recent project, project that I'm working on right now, um, my colleague Kevin and I did uh, two rounds of usability studies on the prototype that we're building. Um, it's not really discovery because uh, we're kind of in detailed design, but. Because Kevin sat in on, I think, all of the usability studies, um, he and I had that shared language. We can kind of refer to, oh, yeah, there was that one guy who said blah, and there was this other guy who said blah. So we have that shared language where we can rely on that. Um, So there's no artifact that captures all the findings Mm -hmm. from the usability report because we, we have that. Now, when we involve our clients in that process, In this particular case, they understand, the client understands that even though they weren't always sitting there, uh, we were. And so we bring a lot of that knowledge to the table. And so they rely on us to bring that knowledge to bear. So I don't know if that was the answer that you were fishing for, but certainly my head these days is more around building a collaborative team that can trust each other to fill in the gaps in the knowledge when one person doesn't have it, uh, but also to participate as much as possible so that um, they can all have access to that pool of knowledge without necessarily investing so much time in elaborate reports and documentation.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I like the fact that you tended to gravitate towards uh, assuming that this was an artifact we had to make in order to make use of our research or the insights that were gathered there because I completely agree with you that it doesn't have to be that as a matter of fact it's more situational than anything and you've described uh, just now a few situations where that would actually be prohibitive to progress right excuse me but one of the things that I hear is really getting to not only a shared sense of knowledge but a a level of trust with the whole team that are making decisions about the product and design that we're creating. Right. And so while that might not be an artifact and that might not be necessary when we all sit in the same room and we have design sprints every week, what happens, you know, when so many of us have to get into a room and say, what are we doing and why, how do we, you know, how do we use that knowledge in that case?
1: I'm not sure I understand what you're asking, meaning everyone's come together in a, as a large team. Yeah. And they're asking a much more fundamental question, like, why are we here? Yeah, well, you know, it's part of
0: that, but I think, I know, I know that I will describe a common scenario for you. We get into a room, we've made some designs. We're going to walk through why we did that. Every time I do that, I am called to the carpet on, Okay, why did we make these design decisions? And I need to be able to answer, you know, what are we doing, right? The designs, the product recommendations, the features, uh, and more importantly, why? How do we make that connection for people, especially in your case, right? As a a services consultant, right? You don't live necessarily in-house with these people. and, And while I have no doubt you established their trust relatively quickly, or you wouldn't be as good at your job as you are, we still need to answer those questions, right?
1: Uh, yeah, um, I um have a couple of answers. I, my in that situation, my hope is that um, you've uh interacted with them before uh, the, the project stakeholders before showing them uh, designs, right? You don't go from point A to point M, right? You don't go from let's kick off to three weeks later or four weeks later, I'm showing you some design ideas. There's involvement all along the way there so they can maintain a sense of progress, even if they're not tapped into all the details. Mm-hmm. So I know I'm probably not the first person to sing the praises of Slack, but I find it hard to do projects now without it because I dump so much crap up there. Really? Yeah, I and I do that in large part, not necessarily expecting people to read everything, but so they know stuff is happening. Um,
0: okay, so before uh, you even keep going, I do want I do want to jump in and ask what sort of things you know what sort of things are important for you to be putting in Slack that, regardless of somebody reads you you need or want to be there.
1: Uh, so let's just pick some examples. Right, I, I did a user interview. I'm going to put my raw notes in a post mm. up there. Um for this other project I'm working on, I'm actually doing a lot of um, secondary research, which is really interesting and kind of uh, a nice new, not new, but unusual experience. Uh, and so I'll post my notes that I take as I'm doing research. I actually um, was reading stuff on Kindle, taking pictures of things that I've highlighted and posting those to Slack. Hmm. Again, I don't know that they're going to read all of them, but they're they're uh, up there. Uh, we don't necessarily make a complete usability report for um, a usability test. Or I've been using a lot of uh, doing a lot of optimal workshop stuff with Chalkmark. Um, again, I'm not going to do a full report, but I may grab you know a heat map from Chalkmark mm-hmm. and throw that up there with some notes. So it's sort of ad hoc. Um, h shapes is not. Completely out of the deliverables business. I mean, we still will put together reports and polished reports using InDesign when that's needed, right? When there's when there's a, a strong need for that sort of thing. But as far as collaborating with the core team, um, using Slack as a way of showing work in progress, right? I'm working on a wireframe. Here's a little snippet from that wireframe, or here's a few different options of things that I'm considering. Um, I find it invaluable from that perspective because they are. Um, I can make them feel like they're still tapped in to the rhythm of the of the project, um, and we can also use those things to trigger more um, uh, bigger interactions. Right? You know, we should jump on a phone and talk about this.
0: Mm-hmm. So, and when you say they, I mean, are you talking about the design and product team, or are you talking also about your client?
1: Um, uh, I am frequently um, working with product teams in-house at a client. So I don't make too much of a distinction between those two things that you just said. But uh, I mean, yeah, the, the project stakeholders, the client stakeholders, who are usually uh, people on the product team, uh, as well as my own team, right? The people that, that HH brings to bear uh, on that.
0: Gotcha, so that Slack channel has all of those people and they're seeing everything that you just mentioned you would post in there.
1: Yeah, I mean, if we're gonna get into the weeds, HAPES has its own Slack channel. Mm-hmm. So I may have a Slack channel dedicated to a client project so that I can collaborate with just my team, but then we also belong to the client's Slack where we've set up a Slack for the client to, to use. Yeah. So um, yeah, we, it kind of goes both ways.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So, I mean, you said, you know, that would get into the weeds and we're, we are at this point making designs. We're making even detailed decisions regularly. My question to you is how often do you find yourself referring back to that discovery material or whatever it is that we established there in that process?
1: Oh, all the time. I mean, um, and there's two reasons to refer to it one because it's right and it helps us it informs and inspires those decisions it validates some of those decisions right that's what that's the point of discovery right is to mm-hmm. sort of prime our brains so that when we're solving the problems we have knowledge that we can draw from mm-hmm. um, again you look at people who invented stuff came up with the best ideas in, in the world the history of innovation is with people not who just woke up one day and had an, an idea They've been working on these things forever, right? And so all that knowledge was just kind of in the back of their head. Um, and that's what we're trying to um, mimic in discovery. But the other reason to go back to it is to go, there's there's not enough here. There's, I don't have anything that I can draw from
0: mm-hmm. to help
1: me answer this question. So uh, this project that I'm working on now with Kevin, um, it's really obscure and weird. It's about architectural licensing and um, we did a bunch of usability tests with licensed architects Mm -hmm. and um, the uh, we learned some interesting things about people who review architectural portfolios and so we're relying a lot on that that knowledge to um, help us shape craft the experience uh, for this one area but we also sometimes stumble on design decisions where we're like you just don't You know, that was just not part of the discovery process. Mm -hmm. So we're going to make an assumption. And usually that assumption is what's the simplest solution? Like what's the bare minimum that we can do so that when we put it out there, you know, we haven't invested too much time.
0: Interesting. You know, all of this sort of leads us to a point that I know we talk endlessly about at Aurelius, which is making sure we're doing the right things solving the right problems and i feel like everything you just said really touched on that right is that you're you're doing those things but you need the confidence to feel like they are the right problems to solve or the right decisions to make how do you gain that confidence for yourself and for your team at eight shapes
1: um i don't know i feel like that's the if we were to boil our the world of user experience design down <laughs> that's what it is right i mean you can say that it's uh, that's the essence of product, too. Um, mm-hmm. but I feel like um, with um, with user experience, we're making so many minute decisions um, that if the um, if those decisions don't orbit something in the middle that is the right thing, then all of those decisions are not worth anything. Um, I interviewed, about a year ago, I interviewed about a dozen product managers. And part of the rationale for that is the best projects we get to work on are those where a product manager or a product owner is the um, is the client. So I wanted to interview them to kind of understand how do you want to work with user experience? Um, and I talked to one person and he said, you know, we've got this mechanism in Agile that lets us kind of churn stuff out real fast, uh, real efficiently. He said, but you could be, you know, after, say, six months worth of sprints, you could lift your head up. This is almost exactly what he said. he said. You could lift your head up and you go, why am I building this? Like, you just sort of had this moment, like, am I even building the right thing? And I, to me, that was indicative of the fact that design is not just solving those small individual problems, but asking that question, what's the right thing to build? Um, I think in problem definition, we start to understand what's broken in the world. Mm. So I define a problem statement as a way of articulating the part of the world that's broken, right? So I've just been doing work on a consumer product for parents and kids. And the part of the world that's broken that they're trying to fix is, um, you know, in the modern world, parents and kids have their own little worlds. and It's hard for them to bridge between those worlds. So how do we create bridges between the stuff that kids are learning and time spent with parents? So um, part of the world that's broken is my kids read a dozen books mm-hmm. I don't know what he's read and even if I did know I wouldn't know the first thing to ask him about it like so how do I how do we bridge that gap all right so now I have a good understanding of what's broken now can I start to think about the kinds of solutions that will solve that problem mm-hmm. um, but uh I don't know I guess understanding what's broken first helps us at least a little bit um Validate that we're building the right, the right thing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I would suspect that everything you did off of that is then learning How can, how that communication happens today? What's what pieces of communication are important between that? Uh, you know parent and child and that's 100% spot on
1: well, it, also, a, it also lets me eliminate stuff, right? So yeah. it lets me sort of say no to well, we could do this, or we can do that, or we can do this, or we can do that. And it's like, sometimes we just wanna, what's the thinnest slice that we can focus on? Cause I want to get that right.
0: Yeah. I'll throw a surprise turn in for you though and say, we could solve that problem better than anybody else, right? For the parent and the child. But I would argue that we aren't solving the right problem unless it's also doing something that matters for the organization that is delivering that experience.
1: I mean, obviously, that's true, right? Um, I think the organization needs to validate that the problem exists mm-hmm. and that they can um, make money trying to, <laughs> sure. offering a solution for the problem. I mean, that's, I think, what it comes down. I don't mean to oversimplify, but that's what it comes down to. Yeah. And a good product person is going to look at that and go, okay, what do we do? Do we do a subscription model? Do we, uh, do, you know, a freemium model? Do we do like, what's, what's the right model for turning that into, do we advertise, right? Do we, um, just use this as a way to get kids to buy more books, right? There's so many different ways that we can turn this into money. Um, I think, um, I don't know, it makes me wonder about, uh, we've, we've got good ways of, um, experimenting, doing lean UX on the UX of such a product, Mm -hmm. but we have good ways of doing, of experimenting with the business models, right? Okay. Advertising didn't work. Let's try a subscription model. Okay. We learned that people are willing to pay a certain amount of money, but not quite enough to help us break even. So, you know, or make a profit. So what can we do to that model to improve it even more?
0: Yeah. No, I love the fact that you said that. And as a matter of fact, I'll bring up, you know, we recently had Jared on the show and I would say by far my favorite quote from that episode was he said, just because a business model is defined doesn't mean it's been validated. Right. So I bring that up to say, what part, if any, does design or product strategy play in addressing that?
1: I don't know. I feel like we're, Getting a little bit beyond my area of experience, but I, I um, so we could go down the design thinking route, right? We could sort of say, well, if we treat product a business model as a design exercise, we need to do a bit of discovery. We need to do a bit of research. We need to do a bit of testing, right? We can go uh, in, in that direction. Um, we could also say that um, uh, a good design team should have the right set of tools to allow them to explore a bunch of different experiences reflecting different business models. Um, so this gets into the area that um, perhaps my my partner is more focused on, which is design systems, which mm. is, okay, I've got a tool set that allows me to uh, quickly realize new products or new elements of products. Um, so can I use that tool set Uh, in a way to let me experiment with different business models. To be honest, I'm not sure Nathan would even agree with that, Um, but it's not necessarily something that that we've done.
0: Right. Right. So, I I mean, kind of what I'm hearing too is in many ways, we should almost expect, uh, quote unquote, the business to be delivering that to us so that we can understand it in such a way where we can say, okay, now that we understand what we're trying to do as a business, we can help you understand what we should do in delivering this experience and how we should serve our customers to meet those business goals.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I, I also, I mean, there's gotta be a give and take there. I mean, I think the best model, uh, again, if we're to oversimplify as a relationship between product ownership and user experience is more of a partnership model. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's due in large part because, those two can feed each other. Um, and really, the the, if you will, the birth of the product, the conception of the product needs to be uh, out of both of those schools of thoughts, out of both of those mindsets. Um, uh, I believe designers are wired to really have a better understanding of what the problem space is, what's broken in the world.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I mean, you go to the IA Summit and uh, you know, you're not there for more than ten minutes, and people are already complaining about the hotel experience, right? <laughs> we are just sort of wired to see what's wrong with the world, yeah. Um, and because of that, I think it's important to for a product to have that understanding and then translate that understanding into a model that can make money.
0: Yeah, no, I like where this is going, and I'm gonna I'm gonna take it to a place where I will directly ask you: Is it of your opinion that design and, uh, you know, as we're referring to it, design thinking should perhaps even influence what our business goals and business strategy is. Um, I don't know. I, I
1: worry about, um, looking at something like design thinking as, uh, the panacea that can solve all of our problems. Um. I married into a family of economists. And <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> no, no, it's it's all good. Um, it's, you know, as a designer, it helps me kind of see the world differently. But um, the one of the things that I learned is that it's very dangerous. No, it's not dangerous. But, you know, there's, there's something to be said for not necessarily using only one methodology or one frame of mind. For solving every problem, yeah, you know, economists have a tool set, um, and they think, well, I can use this tool set for literally anything that I see in front of me. And sometimes, you know, it's uh, they're not compatible. So I guess what I'm getting at is the same can be true. Same can be said for design thinking. A lot of great tools there. You've got to apply them to the right kinds of Problems, I think. Yeah, um, and there may be perspectives. If we limit ourselves to design thinking, then you may uh, cut out perspectives um, that uh, you don't want to ignore.
0: Right. So I actually want to. I want to continue down this train of thought. It's interesting to hear you compare it to, you know, economists and even the way that they kind of approach the world and, and solve problems in their own right. I'll just start by saying, I think designers, I know designers being one myself, we have a tendency to be uh, blindly arrogant in some ways to assume that the way that we solve problems can and will address a lot of problems that may be out of our depth, right? But I would suspect that that's possibly true for economists as well. And I don't expect you to speak on their behalf, but I'm really curious, again, given your, your personal experience with this, what is the same? What's different, um, the good and the bad between those two modes of thinking?
1: Well, I'm going to try to speak to those modes of thinking, but I, I, um, I don't agree on uh, designers. I would say the lion's share of designers probably even none of them listen to this podcast, but the lion's share of designers are um, tell me what you want on the screen and I will put it on the screen. I think um, Mm. we need to help designers remember um, that they do have tools for asking hard questions to your point we can't let them get arrogant to say they are the only ones capable of answering these questions Mm -hmm. um i find the most satisfying projects i get to work on are again multidisciplinary where i get to listen to lots of different points of view um when we do our brainstorming sessions our sketching studios we like it when there's lots of people in there who wouldn't necessarily be people who draw pictures um, as in their day-to-day work right so um i I feel like um one of the things that we're pushing against is this idea that the designer is the person who draws rectangles on pages um, and um that they have tools to um dig into difficult questions Mm -hmm. Uh, at the O'Reilly Design Summit, uh conference last year, uh, Erica Hull was speaking, and she said that the question is the designer's most important tool. And I really like that because I feel like we're getting away from from that. Uh, we're getting away from, you know, when we start talking about, you know, should designers learn to code or, you know, do they you know, our wireframes dead or, you know, I just feel like that those um, conversations ignore what design is really about.
0: Yeah, they're conversations. So uh, I'm not putting words in your mouth. I I will say this is my opinion. 100%. Those conversations are irrelevant if we are not solving the right problems. And so that's the thing that we were talking about, right? And where you're going with this uh, sounds to me very much Like designers should be focused on helping people, organizations solve the right problems rather than just what's on the screen. What is the interface? The, uh, incredible detail that we pay attention to with buttons and navigation patterns and all of these things, which have their own merit with, with, you know, without a doubt, uh, where we started with this is I made a statement saying, do you think design thinking and designers in general can be too arrogant in assuming we can solve problems bigger than we are? And uh, a refreshing perspective that you've just shared is actually perhaps the opposite. We are not uh, you know, grabbing the bull by the horns, so to speak, and taking the opportunity that we can really deliver to the people that we work with.
1: So one of the things that I talked about in my second book, uh, Designing Together, which is all about collaboration and dealing with difficult situations, is this idea of mindset. And one of the um, mindsets that I think is useful for designers to have is what I call the assertiveness, right? This, this um, You know, you go too far and it becomes arrogance, perhaps, but this idea that you should feel comfortable, confident, speaking up and contributing. Um, Part of that is gonna be uh, getting shot down or having people disagree with you, but it's that tension that makes design great. Um, After I wrote that um, and coming up with, you know, mindsets that were great for collaboration, I realized that there's a different set of mindsets for creativity. Um, And one of those is humility. Um, which is the opposite of arrogance, right? Mm-hmm. So the idea that um, uh, it's okay to say, I don't know. It's okay to ask questions. It's okay to um, get other people to weigh in on stuff, right? All of that is, is evidence of humility. And I think that openness, that leads to an openness uh, and, an, and a focus on the ideas and not who owns the ideals. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I mean, just, we keep talking lots of different ways about this topic. Um, Can designers be arrogant and think that they're the only ones who can solve the problem? Yes, perhaps. But I also think we see the other side too, which is designers not being assertive enough. um, And um, designers not embracing, um, when we talk about arrogance, not embracing that humility of, Understanding that the problem is not just about them. It's about lots of different perspectives.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Great, great point to wrap this up, Uh, especially in the thread that has kind of run through this in terms of solving the right problems, having the humility to understand and admit when you don't have the answer, when you don't know enough information, but also the assertiveness enough to ask the questions, to get that information. Uh, But more importantly, say, we are confident in the choices we're making because of the process we've followed. I think is a great way to kind of put a point on everything we've just discussed.
1: Well, I hope it was coherent because if I'm being humble, I'm pretty tired, so I'm not sure that any of that just made sense. But you're, I'm glad, I'm glad you enjoyed the conversation. I did too.
0: I absolutely did, and so uh, cannot be overstated enough. I always enjoy. Uh, talking with you, Dan, I have a great deal of respect for you. Out of curiosity, anything you would like to share with those listening to the podcast before we wrap up?
1: You know, Zach, I'm glad you asked me that. (laughs) Um, um, uh, So I'm working on my third book, uh, which uh, is about design discovery. Uh, So I was really excited to have this conversation with you because I've been thinking a lot about it. Um, You might even say too much. I've been thinking too much about it, but um, uh, yeah, the book comes out or should come out in January, 2017. Um, And uh, it's a little book. Uh, It's more focused on the big picture of discovery, like trying to uh, help us understand how the language we're talking about, how we do discovery, rather than digging into every last little tool or technique that we might use in the discovery process. Mm -hmm. There's lots of great books out there on doing research, on doing analysis, on doing brainstorming, all that kind of stuff. I felt like there wasn't a good book on how do we tie it all together. So that's uh, Practical Design Discovery is the title, and uh, it'll come out in January.
0: I love it. And we can provide a link to anything like that that you have maybe on the H-Shapes blog or otherwise uh, to point to some of that stuff. Dan, thank you so much for joining us tonight and having the conversation that we did.
1: Zach, it is always great to chat with you. Thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely. All right, everybody. We will see you next time. Thanks for listening to Aurelius podcast, talking about product strategy and design strategy. We are the first platform of its kind to help you solve the right problems for your customers and your business and build products and services that truly matter. You can check us out at aureliuslab.com. That is www.aureliuslab.com. You can check us out on Twitter at AureliusLab and Instagram Aurelius Lab. We'll see you next time.